Welcome to the Burnout Recovery Podcast, a guiding resource dedicated to healthcare professionals on their journey to overcoming burnout. Spearheaded by Dr. Joe Braid, a certified professional coach and rehabilitation physician. This podcast offers practical strategies through expert interviews and personal resilience stories, providing invaluable tools for navigating professional challenges while prioritizing well-being. Regardless of your role in healthcare, this podcast acknowledges the toll of your work on your overall health and is committed to supporting your recovery from burnout and fostering a fulfilling, sustainable career. So, if you're ready to begin a transformative journey, join us for each new episode. Together, we'll navigate challenges, celebrate successes, and build a supportive community of healthcare professionals. Hello, and welcome back to the Burnout Recovery Podcast. I am delighted today to have a wonderful guest on my show. It is Danica Bunch, who is another businesswoman who lives locally here in the Central West. I've known Danica for probably closing in on a year now. We've had some really heartfelt chats together, and I'm really looking forward to what Danica's going to share with her wisdom on the podcast today. How are you going? I'm well, thanks, Joe. How are you? It's good to see your beautiful smiling face. Oh, likewise. Thank you. Great to connect today. So I would love you to give an intro on your background, where you're based, what your business involves, and how come we're talking together today on the Burnout Recovery Podcast. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, as I'm Danica, um, I am a local. I live in Milthorpe in Central West New South Wales. Um, born and bred here, have done the city escape, but love my hybrid lifestyle. Um, I'm a PR practitioner. Um, I specialize in strategic PR and communications. And one of my niche areas that I've worked in for over 20 years is crisis and risk management and dealing with crises mainly in business. But as we all know, business crises can actually come across into our, our personal lives as well. Crisis can happen in personal lives. I've experienced that myself, and we'll talk some more about that today. Um, but I've worked with a framework for over 20 years, and I just recently saw some really strong correlations of how that framework can be utilized in different areas and aspects of life. Yeah, and personally, I'm a mum of two, spin class tragic, old ballerina, and um, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Wonderful. Yeah, great. So good to have you here. So let's talk about that um, idea around what might be a crisis, what a crisis might look for a business. And also for my audience, what that term crisis might look on the personal sort of front as well. Yeah. So look, I think we came to know crises very much during the COVID period. So crises have always existed in business. But during COVID, we all saw the extent of crises. So I was called in a lot to work on COVID outbreaks and the PR and communications for businesses that forward facing the reputational work. And I also do a lot of work with businesses in polishing their reputations, making sure that they've got authenticity, transparency, and that they're, they're forward-facing, you know, is, is exactly how they want their reputation to, to appear and be perceived. And um, those crises can take different forms. Some of them can be massive. You know, we've had massive crises that have involved, you know, fraud, corruption, you mm. know, um, 
you know, I think cybersecurity, the cyber crises um, are things that we know a lot about. And during those business crises, we use a framework. So that framework is very consistent. It can take different forms. It's a little bit like a grief cycle where you don't have to go from A to B, you know, and then C. Um, And so a lot of the work I do as well is the preparedness for a crisis. And that's actually one of the most important things um, is the preparedness. And then the other most important thing that I think, you know, needs to happen during a crisis is reflection. So, and not just at the end of the crisis, but at points through the crisis is learning how to reflect. So um, late last year, I had my own personal health crisis where I was Mm. diagnosed with breast cancer. And this Mm. occurred, I think like it does for a lot of people, it was a couple of days before Christmas when I got the final final diagnosis. Mm. And I was working through this and doing okay considering the situation and what you know this momentous thing I was dealing with and then it it dawned on me one day when I was making some notes on working through this and I could see that this was actually the same framework that I'd used in business for 20 years and I was using the same framework for what I was going through and it dawned on me I'd I'd written a book late last year as well on on um, managing crisis in business mm. and I was about to get to that pointy end of preparing for publishing and all of that sort of thing and I just thought the world does not need another business book <laughs> what but what women like me really need and I needed at the time yeah. was a framework and to be sort of taken by the hand and shown how can I actually break this down mm. so I can manage this crisis to a point of resilience and strength yes Great. So I'm hearing like an analogy of a fire evacuation plan is maybe like the preparedness you would have, which seems really relatable in the business sense. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And then having a debrief after all of the events had happened, should we have a fire in in that scenario there? Yeah. I'm really curious to sort of see how, this might look on that personal basis. So, so could you guide yeah. my listeners through how that preparedness Absolutely. sort of starts? Yeah. So yeah. Preparedness is, and I think the other point I just want to make before mm. I go on that sure. I think this really correlates with a lot of your listeners and the work that you're doing. And we've spoken about this because a lot of the time it's a crisis that can push us into burnout. We, right. we yeah. might, be, might be running on almost empty, mm. but then crisis happens and bang, we just, we, we, we lose it. We drop our bundle completely yes. and emotionally it can wreck us and it can actually cause trauma um, that we then need to really address quite seriously. Yeah. So mm-hmm. my advice to a business, for example, is with the preparedness is let's sit down and let's actually do a risk management. What would a crisis look like? How could it occur? When could it occur? Mm-hmm. What tools can we use during the crisis? Who would our team be to support us through that mm. crisis? How would we communicate to people or stakeholders or how it, you know, during that phase of crisis? So these steps are not dissimilar to what we need to do sure. in, in our personal lives. And sometimes mm. it's our personal lives that we neglect, to be honest. So yeah. I know you've talked a lot about in your work about um, your self-care. Mm. So yeah. some of that will look like self-care. So if I'm if I'm in that burnout state in a crisis or if I'm under that, you know, 
I'm having to sort of push on in with endurance during mm. the crisis. How can I take care of myself during that phase? What are sure. those things that I can, tools that I can pull in at that time? Yeah. I think it's also knowing who are my people. So who would who would I reach out to? Um, who can I talk to? Who can be that kind ear at, you know, 3 a.m. <laughs> when I yes. need it? Yes. Knowing those people and really investing in those relationships because what I found it was really the people that held me during that yeah. crisis. You know, when you're running on empty and you've got someone to give you a hug or give you a pep talk and and it varies because sometimes we actually need a lot of tough love. We need someone yeah. to say, look, put your big girl pants on and just get in and deal with this. Mm. And sometimes we need that soft, you know, that soft sure. touch as well. Yes. And and it's not dissimilar. And I think also, as I emphasize, reflection is so mm. important. Um, it's something that I, I can't always get businesses to do post-crisis yes. because yes, they okay. move on so quickly. Right. Yeah. But when they do, it makes the preparedness for the next crisis so much stronger. Mm-hmm. And it's personally reflecting is really really important i found reflecting during the crisis was important because i needed to sometimes take a breath yeah but it was also really important because i also needed to see how far i'd come yeah and i needed to recognize that which it can seem very hard when you're in the midst of it but Mm. if you have those points of achievement it actually sort of reinvigorates you to keep going absolutely yeah so good to hear yeah i was coaching in the emergency department here at orange yesterday afternoon and we were talking about hot and cold debriefs so a hot debrief is straight after um a scenario has been addressed in the department and a cold debrief is about a week later when everybody's gone back home and had their routine and so forth and then they come in and and evaluate again how that scenario went uh, not with a finger of blame or pointing or no. judgment or so forth but again what have we learned from this what did we do well as a team what could we improve on what would we do differently next time so that reflective process and I really, yeah. love, I really love that stage process as well. And I think I might borrow that <laughs> because we we process thoughts. So in the moment, our thoughts may be very different to in a week's time. So our sure. reflection will have actually enabled us to process things. Yes. And during a crisis, I think that's also very important in your communications because I know on the day I was diagnosed, my communications would have been incredibly emotive, <laughs> incredibly mm-hmm. emotive. Yes. And a lot of the time my work in business is sort of almost talking the CEO off the ledge, you know, because okay. they, they are passionate and emotive about what's happened mm. and really taking that time to stop take a breath, reflect before we actually communicate. And I think that's a really good strategy. Um, And in a personal crisis, your communications still matter. So the way you, for example, you might have to break news to family members, you might have to break news to children. You need that process and reflection time. So that that hot Mm. and cold is a wonderful strategy. Wonderful. Yeah, Mm. great. Yeah, Yeah, good. So... Um, yeah, it's it's over six months now, isn't it, since you you had your completely unexpected diagnosis last yes. December. And 
And to be fair, I had a yeah. very bad diagnosis. The crisis communications, and I think the the crisis PR specialist in me was sitting there with my first diagnosis, just saying, "Oh my gosh, you're doing this all wrong. <laughs> you, okay. This is not yeah. how you communicate this yeah. message and this news to someone." Yeah. It was, you know, we tend to stick to three key points mm-hmm. of information because in a crisis, that is all a person is going to actually be able to process and sure. understand. Sure. And then we always seem to set a follow-up or we'll have cr- communications that come out soon after when mm-hmm. people sort of, you know, come out of the moment, process to a degree, and they're ready for the next phase. Mm-hmm. And that did not occur for me. Yeah, so okay. What and you can't always c- control how someone is going to um, communicate with you. So you, as a person, need to know how you can potentially unravel that as well. And for me, that was, I guess, fortunate that I'm from a, a background where I could do that. Mm. But I feel teaching others to yep. be able to do that as well is really important. Sure. And um, I, yeah, the communication part for me was just. Yeah, it, it could have made or break my coping after that. Yeah. Um, and But then it was a psychologist who works with women mainly who were mm-hmm. going through health crises, mm-hmm. and I could see she was very good at that crisis communications. She stuck to three key points, like really? you have treatable cancer, mm-hmm. you have a low-grade cancer, mm-hmm. um, which means it's not aggressive, and medical research is advancing by the minute. And with things like AI, with targeted therapies, we're advancing by the minute. We're not far away from some cancers being cr- treated more like chronic illnesses. Yeah, right. And three key messages. Gosh, yes. So in the midst of that crisis, she gave me something to actually attach to mm-hmm. and something that I could be very strong with my narrative moving forward. And so I actually wrote that down. I wrote that in text messages. I wrote that in information that I was giving others. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing how that helped my team that I was building um, to be on the same page and for us to be working to the same narrative and same goals. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's interesting because I've, I have transferred my my medical team mm-hmm. and one of the real strengths of my my new oncologist is her communication style yes yeah and her also her ability to holistically assess this patient in the first first meeting she she wanted to know my whole background it was almost like going out on a first date she was wanting to know <laughs> And I'm sort of sitting there going, come on, let's let's talk about the illness. Yeah. Over time I realized she actually gets wants to get to know me as a whole, a whole person. Yeah. What sort of capacity do I need to work out? What do what do I need to do on a daily basis? How can we make this woman's life a best lived life? And the the contrast was absolutely incredible. And thinking about that some more, it came down very much to the culture of that health organisation as well. Mm, and I guess that from the first organisation, this was not the fault of those individuals. This was the culture and yes. ethos because yeah. going to the next one from the receptionist through to the pathologist, through to the nurse, through the oncologist, the culture and mm. the energy 
place was just vastly different. So yeah. I can really see why these sorts of strategies are so important for healthcare workers Absolutely. because they might not always be strong and positive. Sure. Being able to have the tools to unravel some of that um, is really important. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all of that. And I'm so delighted you're with a team where that communication is a real skill and a real strength that they have across the board. So I imagine there's something from the leadership of that team that shows how much they value communication, Absolutely. especially in that area of healthcare that um, yeah. they're in too. Well, it's interesting. I actually learned after the fact that they have a team of crisis communication specialists that actually come oh, in okay. and work with them and they they prioritise debriefing. They Do absolutely they? prioritise yeah. it. Yeah, it happens on a daily and a weekly basis and it also happens on an ad hoc basis. And it's not always done by the within the hospital, mm -hmm. they sometimes bring these specialists in to actually do some of that work. Wow. And that's, it shows, you can absolutely see mm. it because these, these healthcare workers, they're specialists in their field, but they're also delivering really tough messaging mm. and information. Mm. And it's not always something that is taught in the healthcare industry. Yeah. Crisis yeah. communications isn't sort of 101 no. <laughs> of medicine. No. But it, it's an expectation in this role. Yeah. So I think the more we can incorporate some of those tools in how to communicate, it's also just going to make jobs for people much easier, let alone the impact on patients' lives as well. Sure. Absolutely. Mm. So these are these are specialists in their field. This is their area of expertise. I guess they are often delivering bad yes. news or they're working with individuals and their families and progress reports and seeing how it's going. And much yeah. as that might be, I don't like this term particularly with this, but their bread and butter, their everyday, having that um, integral support system uh, is making them more sustainable in healthcare. <laughs> I'm guessing less likely to burn out. They're feeling yeah. heard and listened to and that they have a voice in the workplace as well. Um, yeah. Great setup. Sounds really, yeah. Yeah. really considered. Absolutely. And we we shouldn't expect them to be experts in crisis communications. Mm -hmm. You know, I've studied this for years and years and years and worked in it. Um, businesses bring me in to do it, and I think it should happen more often in health as well. It should be prioritised by organisations. Yeah. Um, because essentially, I think some of that burnout could occur because they are aware they're actually putting a crisis on someone. Mm. And emotionally mm. that would take a toll. Time after time that would take an incredible toll. We're all human. We've all got that degree of empathy and most healthcare workers do. That's why they choose their field. Yes. But if you can help them make these crises easier to manage, better communicated, less impact, it's going to have a cyclical effect. So it's actually going to sort of come back to the yes. worker as well. Yes. That they can feel like, look, I've used my framework. I've given the information about how they can best manage this crisis. Mm -hmm. And I can just, I can know I've done my complete job and I can move on to yes. a degree. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So good. Mm. Yeah. 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 So let's, let's talk about, um, how burnout and a personal crisis might, might I guess, sort of almost have a dance together. One might come first. It might be always crisis first, then burnout second. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts about this term that's kind of new in my terminology, Danica? So I, I just talk about burnout, really, but you're seeing maybe a journey that could involve yeah. both. 
Yeah. And I think, I think burnout can, you know, the tipping point can occur because of a crisis. Mm-hmm. But what about also those people that are in burnout before a crisis hits? You know, sure. what, what, what does that look? That's catastrophic for mm-hmm. a human. And I think that's where we can actually develop trauma which can be yeah. far more damaging for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the preparedness, taking some of those, you know, those tips and tricks from the crisis world mm-hmm. um, and the preparedness so that if if you're in burnout, you've got to think to yourself, goodness, what if the wheels fall off even more? Mm-hmm. How will we manage that? Um, and I think we, we're also in a crisis, we've drawn in so emotionally. And, it, and it's not just a personal crisis where you're drawn in emotionally. I've seen CEOs <laughs> heavily drawn in because their livelihoods might be on the line. Yeah. There might be workers that they're responsible for impacted. Um, there's a level of responsibility for them. Sure. So I can see that that burnout can actually hit instantaneously. Mm. And I've had to do a lot of coaching of people through a crisis and my coaching crosses over sometimes because sometimes it you know I might say to a CEO how's your sleep right Mm. now how's your home life what's happening at home um one of the tips I've I've sort of used a lot is you're not going to be able to control much of this crisis Mm. (laughs) it's just going to have its own lifespan and for a CEO, that can be quite challenging. And I think for women in a personal crisis, it can be quite challenging because we're used to controlling everything. Yeah. We're used to being the CEOs of our own lives and we know what's going to happen and we plan for it. And a CEO is the same. They know what's happening in their business. They This is unexpected. Yeah. So what I say to them is this was one little tip or trick to get through this, and that's sure. remembering that you can control two things. The last thought you have before you go to sleep mm-hmm. and the first thought you have when you wake up. And if you can do that, you've ended your day well and you've started your day well. Fantastic. And it's amazing how that can actually impact them because, first of all, they're given something that they can do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of it is taken out of their hands. Sure. Um, but it just also helps their well-being because mm. we know you know, from looking into sleep studies and things like that, some of those thought processes that are going on for us just before we mm. fall asleep yes. impact the quality of our sleep quite significantly. Yeah. And not everyone is into meditation or breath work or things like that, mm. but even some of those breathing techniques of, you know, that the square breathing, so yes. in for four, hold for four, out for four, just those simple Great. techniques mm. and explaining to them how your breathing impacts your physiology mm-hmm. and taking it down to that really linear level um, can really help people. And yeah. I think it's the same in our, our personal crises. Sure, absolutely. Well. Yeah. yeah. What, what a great couple of tangible tools that people can use. Yeah. What is a yeah. thought I am choosing before I go to sleep and what thought am I choosing as I wake up today? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think too, we, during a crisis, we talk about self-care a lot mm. and how can, we, how can we manage ourselves through. And look, I think we actually overthink self-care to okay. a degree. Sometimes. Yes, tell me more. Um, my, through my diagnosis, I looked at life very differently. <laughs> Suddenly I was seeing life in full colour because it was under threat to a mm-hmm. degree. Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest change for anyone going through a health crisis is that we all work, walk around with a myth of certainty. 
we expect tomorrow to happen. We expect to be able to put the holiday off till next year because we've got time. Mm-hmm. And when you go through a crisis like I did, suddenly you realise that the only time we have is the present moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think before the crisis I used to think of self-care as, oh, I need to book half a day in a day spa, but how am I going to get time for that? Or I need to go on a holiday. Oh, but do I have that time to take a week off to this? Mm-hmm. What I suddenly realize is, I guess, mindfulness in its pure sense. So little things like, you know, I got a puppy during this whole thing, which, you know, was a bit crazy, but this little puppy was taking me out to go to the toilet every morning at 5.30. Right. Yeah. This couple of mornings, I was quite gruff about having to get out of bed so quickly at 5.30. But then when I got, I'd realized that the sunrise was happening. Mm. I'd, I saw the first frost that we had in winter. Sure. And I started to realize that those little moments where you just stop, you notice nature, you take a breath. Mm. I noticed how they actually started to make me feel. And that is self-care. So I think sometimes we overthink these things. Mm. We we over-engineer things and it might just be taking five minutes to have a cup of tea. It might be, you know, going to school pickup and sitting in the car in the the warm sun and just really basking in it. Mm. And all of those little things, it's about how it's making you feel. So becoming self-aware. How's my breathing? What's going on in my body? What can I feel? All of those sensations. And it yeah, over time, I, I, it's really had quite a profound impact. Mm, yeah. yeah, such a great point. I definitely teach on living life on autopilot versus living life with awareness. And yes. I think you've really illustrated that so well. Yeah. Now, today, how how is that colour? How is that spectrum that you see of life in front of you? Is it full of colour and welcome because you have grown that awareness in your mm in tune with the present moment and more mindful about the everyday would you like to describe or give us an update how it is now the thing about a cancer diagnosis is often the diagnosis and the medical side of it kind of takes care of itself because you've got a team of experts who who rush in and once you're confident in them you Mm -hmm. you hand that over to a degree Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. but boy it throws up a lot of other life challenges um you know i I work for myself. So it's things like, oh my gosh, how am I going to run a business? Mm-hmm. What happens if things go pear-shaped? It puts a lot of pressure on relationships. Mm-hmm. It, it makes you worry more as a mother. How are my children coping with this? Sure. So, and then there's a lot of life administration that it throws up. Will I be able to get travel insurance? Right. Um, you know, just all these crazy yes. things around mm. this stigma of cancer that I didn't expect. Yes. So for me, yes, the immediate crisis was over, but then there was a lot of mopping up that had to go on. And so it was a little bit of a marathon. It was a bit of mm. an injury. Definitely living and seeing life in colour, it helps you not to sweat the small stuff. Okay, <laughs> so- yeah, great. When you are managing those things, it makes you think about, well, look, in the scheme of things, let's just get this done. I'm not, yeah. I'm not getting emotional about it. Let's just get it done because it, it just doesn't matter really. Mm-hmm. 
So there are a lot of changes that happen and I think you have to allow yourself to go through those changes. I, in my yeah. book, I talk about it's almost like a rebranding. <laughs> you, you know, we talk about that after a crisis in business. Sometimes we need to do a rebranding or it yes. definitely happens in your personal life yeah. because you start to make decisions about how you want to live your life moving forward. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been quite fortunate that my prognosis is not so devastating. It's still devastating, but it's it's not as bad as others. So it does make you feel a little bit more grateful for what you have. Mm -hmm. Also, probably one of the most significant changes was how I parent. I parent okay. very, very differently yep. post-crisis and post-cancer to what I, I did before. Sure. I really looked at my children. My biggest thing was, oh, my gosh, what if I'm not here for them? Who will be here for them? Mm -hmm. The role of mentors, friendships, and friendships with adults, other adults in my world became mm -hmm. paramount. I suddenly wanted them to learn about me, who I am. And so I started sharing more stories with them of, you know, how I got to be where I am, you yeah. know, funny little anecdotes from my childhood because I wanted them to know the full picture. But the biggest thing is I wanted them to be prepared for life. So wow. my parents yeah. change where things like I, I travel a lot for business. Mm -hmm. So I started taking them on trips with me, the occasional trip, yep. showing them how to catch a train, showing them how to manage an airport, Sh you know, sh mm. actually showing them my work as well. They they came to an office one day and sat yeah. in while I was meeting with some investors and I sort of said to them, we need this cap raise because that's how mummy gets paid, you know. Yeah. But it really, it really changed the way I communicated with them. Mm. I'm far more open. I'm far more vulnerable with them. And I'm watching them thrive as a result of, of this, these changes. Wow. And, um, yeah, it's something that was, was significantly different pre mm. to post crisis, mm. post diagnosis. Um, wow. And that's why I just, I so much wanted to write this book because yes. this book is, it's not just for women going through breast cancer, it's a woman going through any crisis. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to share this because these are amazing gifts that I've had and I just if I can be impactful on other women's lives mm -hmm. then you know that's a gift that I can I can hand on as well yes yeah mm. well I I really think that's such a gift you've given your children and it's returning back to you in in the moment as well it's not Absolutely. like with this um sort of how you're interacting with your children uh, very intentionally, very involved, um, including them in things that you might not have thought about including them in a year ago. Um, exactly. And you can already see that growth that they've got yeah. through through that experience they've had with because you. I, think, I also see that maybe we weren't raised in this way. Mm. So we were probably of a generation where our parents wanted to protect us from a lot of things. Sure. We didn't learn about life's ups and downs. I wonder if that's why some somehow this the, the things like burnout are more prevalent now mm, yes yeah, we okay. haven't, haven't learned how to manage hardship very well right, right. and i yeah. see in my children like life is not going to be perfect it's there's going to be ups and downs they're probably you know each one of them is probably going to go through four or five crises major crises in their life guaranteed mm, yes um mm. so how can i show them the way because they're look, they're watching at us and they're learning from us. Mm. So I think even 
that perspective made me value myself more because I knew people were watching me go through it. And if I'm not prioritising myself, if I'm not, you know, recognising signs of burnout and addressing them, what role model am I to my children? And that's where you start to realise your sphere of influence, I think, as well. Yeah, Yeah. fantastic. Mm. So Mm. good, so good. Empowering oneself to make you a priority without the guilt. I mean, so good, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So you you had a book that you'd already prepped up around the business case for crisis management and then unexpected events came up in your life and you actually changed tack and you pivoted within the book that you'd crafted and drafted. Tell us more about that, please, Danica. Yeah, so I I was working with an amazing psychologist that I've spoken about, and I you know I can't speak highly enough of her for being that you know that north star during a lot of what mm. I was going on, but I did find the the process of sitting with with psychologist um, quite quite tricky for me. It just wasn't really my style to mm. sit and process my feelings and emotions and thoughts in that way. Mm-hmm. So she actually suggested that between sessions because I'm a writer, I'm an avid writer, mm-hmm. love my words, um, she actually suggested that I do some free writing and some journaling to help me manage from one session to another yeah. and then to come to the session with what I what had come up for me and sure. then we could talk about that because it had been processed to a degree. Mm. So I started writing and I couldn't stop. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it, was, it, it really worked. It really helped me process my mind and sort my mind out through that 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 phase. Great. And I suddenly, you know, when I had that realization that I was using the fr- same framework, um, my book coach had contacted me to say, "Hey, it's the new year. We're clicking on. What's happening?" And it just dawned on me: the world does not need another business book in this. But women need this. Um, mm. I found that, you know, I was diagnosed just before Christmas and the lights went out in all the <laughs> the health centres, mm. psychologists were not available. It was a really tough time. Yes. And my biggest hope for this book and the reason why I want to get it out before Christmas this year is because yeah. I don't want any woman to go through that period of time without some help and something yes. right aside. And I hope that this book will be a comfort to those women. I went searching for stories. I found a lot of stories of people who'd really been through early stage stuff. It just didn't resonate for me. I needed to mm-hmm. hear it from someone who's sort of been in the trenches, so to speak, with yeah. the really hard part of cancer and, you know, the hard words and all of that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and so I actually merged the two. I took the Great. bones of that business book and the framework and the mm. principles, sort of the how-to guide, and then I just applied it and weave my story of how I did it as well. And I yeah. think now looking back at this book, and I'm I'm in edit- editing stage at the moment, so I'm looking at it constantly, is I'm looking back on it and I'm thinking it's actually a far better learning tool for people because it's a lived experience mm. as well. Mm. So it's a really practical guide. And I'm quite honest about the things that I did differently or I did in different orders or um, I think in a personal crisis I speak a lot about reflection all the way through your crisis is really important. Yeah. Different reasons. Um, So it was a really honest recount of what had occurred Mm. but a really practical guide of, you know, day one, step one. And 
I came out of that heavy, intense crisis in 90 days. And in 90 days, I was, I felt like myself again. I felt like I could conquer what was being thrown at me. And if someone had have just given me that hope on day one, that it's okay, it's, it's terrible at the moment. It feels awful. It feels like your world has fallen apart, Mm -hmm. but in 90 days, you won't feel like it's so catatastrophic. That would have been just amazing to hear yeah. <laughs> just to that, hear. that light at the end of the tunnel because you don't think it's it's going to be there mm-hmm. and I think people in burnout as well when you're in the depths of that burnout you, you just don't know if you're ever going to feel better yes. and that's probably one of the hardest things to process yes. and if someone can tell you guess mm-hmm. what here's a framework or here's yeah. some tools in so many days you will feel better mm-hmm. That in itself can actually change everything. Absolutely. I I see my clients lift to a new level within about session four. So it's about four weeks after we start, things are really starting to change for them. And by 12 weeks, do you want to keep working together? No, I'm really good. I'm going to go on. So, (laughs) wow. So again, 90 days, 12 weeks. It's the same. It's the same principle. And look, you, you will feel better before that, but you'll, I think that's when you feel the full effects of it or you feel empowered that you can do it by yourself. Yes, then. yeah, that's it. I think yeah. that's the point. And I think it's also trusting the process. So that's why I wanted to write the book because I've got 20 years experience. So mm. I hope, well, she's been through a few of these, so she should yes. know what she's doing. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, you know, they need to trust someone. They need mm. to have someone that they can attach to and know that, look, some of these things seem a bit weird and this might seem counterintuitive, but I'm just going to trust this person because yeah. they've gotten through it yes. and they've gotten others through it. So let's kind of let go to the process. Sure. Wonderful. Yeah. So good. So tell my audience, please, about when do you think the book might be out? Yeah, so look, my goal is the book will probably be finished in its entirety and printed around September, October. Wonderful. Um, and we'll be doing book launches in late November, early December. But this Great. book has to be out. <laughs> and I mean, blood, sweat and tears, this book has to be out before Christmas. I just yeah. want women to be able to access resources and not have to go through a Christmas like I had to go through. Sure. Yeah. Um, and to and then I I very much want to actually get out and start talking about this yes. to women as well, right. um, particularly regional women. I think that'll be a real focus for me. Yeah. Mm. But then I also really want to talk to healthcare workers and yes. people who are in those, even lawyers. Um, yeah. There's a lot of jobs that we do that are in the front line of crisis mm. and crisis communications. Yes. And so I hope we really we open that door for people. Um, so that feel they're they're doing their jobs better but it's I guess it's that two-pronged approach you've got to help the the sufferers but you've also got to help the people that are in the front line delivering that sure so good yeah Mm. great well everybody stay tuned for Danica's book we will um maybe do a I'll, I'll share it somehow on the socials. I'll link your launches when they come in a few months' time. And many congratulations for such a turnaround, not, not only in a book creation, but in your health, like improvement and and really looking at your lifestyle, looking at your connections, your community around you with yeah. like that that kaleidoscope, mm-hmm. that sort of all the colours are coming out um, now. You. 
Yeah, oh, look, it's a testament to the people around me. It really is. And that's why I think I, you know, it's my way of giving back and thanking all of those people mm. as well. Yeah. Because I'm a product of what they invested in as well. So, yeah, it's it's that beautiful cycle, that beautiful life cycle. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I can't wait to, to have these book launches because I want all of those people to be celebrated as well. Yeah. Great, great. Let's wrap up with the final question. This is what I ask all of my guests on my yeah. podcast. What is one self-care uh, process, strategy, tool, tip that you rarely go without? What would you like to share, please? Yeah, look, my biggest things are, is for me is movement, exercise. Mm. Um, I'm an, as I said, I'm an old ballerina. If I can, <laughs> if I can get back to that ballet bar, I will without oh, a doubt. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have to be ballet. It's I love my spin class. I met my spin teacher in the midst of COVID on Zoom, and I now have this incredible community in my my wow. early morning spin sessions. And I also have an incredible personal trainer who understands that it's for me. It's about mind and body, mm. and he works with me so beautifully. He can tell when. I'm a bit down and so he'll set me challenge, physical challenges to bring me back up and yeah, that's something and I think, you know, recovering at the moment from a little surgery, a little sort of bi-surgery, um, I couldn't exercise for a week and that had a really big impact and so for me just sitting on my bike and turning those pedals was actually a beautiful therapy um, and, yeah, it's it's a whole lot of things. It's me time, it's achieving something physically, it's feeling mm. stronger physically mm. that affects my mind so yeah definitely movement movement is your go-to great yeah Danica thanks so much just let my audience know please where can they find you we will put your links in the show notes as well wonderful so if you go to my website which is danicabpr.com that will link you to everything all my work that I do but also the book and then um, I have two Instagrams which is danicabpr and also she has breast cancer which is the book book link yeah wonderful great well we'll make sure to share all of that right. it's been so great to have you on the podcast today thank you so much for everything that you've shared i think we've all learned so much from it and really applicable to the consumer and the provider and beyond absolutely that's my pleasure and thank you for having me and keep doing all the amazing work that you're doing thank you so much thanks mm -hmm. see you soon Thanks for listening to this episode of the Burnout Recovery Podcast. If there's someone in your world who would also benefit from this, please share it with them. Remember, you're not alone and there is hope for a brighter, more fulfilling future. Let's continue this journey together one episode at a time. For more resources, including how to move from dread to delight, head to drjoebraid.com.